Hurry up, your favorite show's about to start. Grab a Capri Sun, some Dunkaroos, and settle in for another episode of The Millennial Movie Club. Welcome back, everyone, to this week's Thanksgiving episode of Millennial Movie Club. We are so effing thankful for you guys. For real. And to show our thanks, we're going to be talking about a movie that I I think a lot of people find really like kind of heartwarming. It's important to people. Mm -hmm. It's smooth and warm as mashed potatoes. For sure. It shaped a lot of people and their their adult selves. Gives you the same fuzzy feeling as sitting down at the Thanksgiving table with your Mima. Mm -hmm. And of course, we're talking about Con Air. Yeah. Well, duh. If you couldn't guess. It includes just as many convicts as your family Thanksgiving table. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yeah, y'all. For whatever unhinged reason, we've decided to bring you Con Air for Thanksgiving. Homeward Bound was just too much last week, and uh, and we needed to get back to (laughs) vapid bullshit. We needed to sandwich it between Point Break and Con Air. Yeah. It was the only way to survive. That's true. But we are stoked to talk about this. And I it was my first time watching it. It's oh, so <laughs> awesome. I have a feeling this is going to be like your practical magic. Where you're like, this movie's so great. And I'm going to be like, I was very annoyed watching this film. No, I totally get it. I just <laughs> love this fucking movie. It's so funny. Fun. Oh. As long as we can agree that it's inherently bad and you can like it because of its badness, then I think we're on the same page. I don't know. I don't think I could say it. I really think it's good. Okay. Well, <laughs> my name is Jazz Zapatos. And when I was in elementary school, my favorite school lunch day was chicken patty day. And we used to call them CKPs which stood for chicken ketchup patty. And we would all like grab an insane amount of ketchup packets and just like drown it in ketchup. It was like (laughs) get as much ketchup on it as you could for chicken ketchup patty day. And I would eat it to this day if I could. Yeah, honestly, that sounds good to me right now. If they would let me anywhere near school, I would go and eat it. Just kidding. Damn courts. Just kidding. I'm allowed to go to schools, guys. (laughs) Speaking of convicts, what about you, Dan? Right. (laughs) Well, uh, my fun fact is that when I was a kid, my friend Colin and I would sleep in my basement for sleepovers, and we wanted to turn the lights off at the end of the night, but we didn't want to get out of this sofa bed that we were staying in, so we created this like 10-foot hook made of like all things that we found, like duct tape and all this shit. And it could turn off the lights, but then eventually, like, the hook would sometimes be too far out of reach, so we had to make another hook for the, the hook hook. Hook hook, return of the hook, the sequel oh. to hook. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, hook strikes back. Which one of you was Rufio? I'm, I wasn't. <laughs> I, I was Robin Williams before he realized that he was Peter Pan, just like a limo. Cool, 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 yeah. cool, 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 cool. Very um, cool. Riveting tale. And... I feel like a very relatable one, too. Thanks. We started young at the age of like, how can I completely avoid moving from where I am to accomplish the things I want to do? Yeah, and it never stopped. No, 
still to this day mm-hmm. you just have a bunch of hook contraptions all over your house it's like peewee's playhouse yeah most people don't see the video of this <laughs> of this <laughs> podcast but there's hooks all over my his microphone is hanging on a hook in front of his face <laughs> yeah. and i've got a hook on hand in case that gets too far away he also has a hook for a hand right i don't know why we didn't do that fun fact sooner daniel only has one hand <laughs> right it's a gift and a curse shall we set the scene yes just paroled Army Ranger Cameron Poe is headed back to his wife, but must fly home aboard a prison transport flight dubbed Jailbird with some of the worst criminals living. Along with Diamond Dog and Baby O, genius serial killer Cyrus the Virus Grissom unleashes a violent escape plot in mid-flight. Secretly working with U.S. Marshal Vince Larkin, Poe tries to foil Grissom's plan. Hell yeah. And this is based on a a real thing. There's an air operations division of the U.S. Marshal Service, and it flies prisoners around the country for transfers and medical exams and court appearances and everything on a 727. And this L.A. Times writer wrote this article in 1993 called, When Jailbirds Fly, They Always Use Con Air. And the guard, when he was researching this, told him that a bunch of convicts have been like planning on escaping through this method, but it's never happened. So this is the what-if tale. Yeah. It seems like it would work, too. And when I tell you, these guys fucking go for it. Yeah. Cyrus is is the mastermind behind everything, so it's so well planned out and well executed. I couldn't believe some of the lengths, but I guess I can believe them. The fact that those are now more believable because of the insanity that unfolds in this movie, the completely bizarre, unrealistic, bonkers fuck train that is this movie like i'm like yeah oh yeah no definitely like you could hide some shit in your throat or inside your own hands oh yeah why not why not where there's a will there's a way i think that people aren't really aware of how much they're in on the joke like the writer and and jerry bruckheimer like they get the joke they wanted to make it as ridiculous as possible because they love those types of movies i don't think that reads (laughs) you don't think so no like whereas scream was like oh this is making fun of itself i didn't get that vibe from this and maybe it's because nick cage stars in it and like he's so serious about everything you know and i don't think most people get that based on the reviews that i read but we'll get there okay Anyway, let's talk about the cast and crew, this little baby. So um, this movie was directed by Simon West. He's a British director, a guiding hand behind a string of highly polished action thrillers in the late 1990s and early 2000s. Along with Con Air, he brought us Laura Croft Tomb Raider, one of my absolute faves. I think it was his first directing credit, right? It is. It's his first ever directing gig. Right out of the gate. Yeah. When a Stranger Calls, The Expendables 2. Oh. Yes. He's an action man with a plan. For sure. Uh, Of course, the star of the show, everybody's favorite, debatably good actor, Nicolas Cage. He is an Academy Award winning actor whose wide ranging body of work spanned everything from oddball comedies like Raising Arizona to dark character dramas like Leaving Las Vegas to effects driven action films like Con Air and National Treasure. The man just keeps on giving. He's a national treasure. (laughs) He is a national treasure. He is the Constitution. He's got a great Constitution, too. (laughs) Clearly. Yeah. 
starring opposite him in the role of U.S. Marshal Vince Larkin. We have everybody's dream boy from the 80s, John Cusack. He was an original member of the Notorious Brat Pack from the early 1980s, starring in movies like Better Off Dead, One Crazy Summer, Say Anything, High Fidelity, and also Being John Malkovich, which is funny because this movie also features... John Malkovich playing Cyrus the Virus Grissom, the kind of the head honcho of this whole operation. He is a scary fucking dude in almost everything, but I just love him. Me too. We've seen John Malkovich in Being John Malkovich, Death of a Salesman, The Glass Menagerie, Empire of the Sun, Dangerous Liaisons of Mice and Men. He's just a very versatile actor of stage and screen and an absolute G. Moving on to some of the other more notable convicts, we have maybe the creepiest man in showbiz, Steve Buscemi, as Garland the Marietta Mangler Green who is known to have chopped up many, many folks along the eastern seaboard. We know him from Reservoir Dogs, Fargo, Ghost World, The Sopranos, Boardwalk Empire, many an Adam Sandler movie, and he is known for his very strange eyeballs. Moving on, we have beloved Dave Chappelle as Joe Pinball Parker. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he's one of the most famous iconic comedians of our generation we also know him from movies like robin hood men in tights the nutty professor and a movie we recently did you've got mail yeah apparently he improvised most of his lines that makes sense to me yeah i'm glad that they just let him do it because he's really funny in it yeah no he's hysterical in everything he does though i i don't know this movie had like way more racist language in yeah. it than i think was necessary like i kept being too like too much too much and i kept being like what time period are we in? If it was somewhere near the time it was made, like way too late to be making like all of these N-word jokes and like it was I, I would think that their thought process is like that we have this way that we think everything is and they operate on this like different thing. But I thought it was totally pointless and, and strange and uncomfortable. Yeah, it didn't add anything. And also like... Yeah, I w- it wasn't nice. <laughs> it was not no, nice. No, it wasn't to very nice. No. And even like they comes into... Co- all right, we'll talk about it. Fucking... Yeah. Okay. Uh, last, we have Trisha Poe, the wife of Nicolas Cage, played by Monica Potter. We know her from the daytime soap opera The Young and the Restless. We also know her from movies like Patch Adams, Head Over Heels, and she was on the long-running popular dramedy Parenthood. Yeah, I feel like this person must be like a terrible actor or something because she's like one of the most stunning looking people I've ever seen, and yet she's been in patch adams that's like her second best credit like how is that possible she's done like long running tv shows yeah that's not a good but story. like i don't know yeah which i mean hey, i mean that's a career but yeah it's a weird it's it's a little bit weird that we don't see her in more because she is absolutely beautiful she caught the eye of those uh ruffians at that bar for sure oh, God. but there are some things about casting that i have to tell you please tell They're me so fucking funny i'm okay. chomping at the bit So Scott Rosenberg, the writer, was friends with Steve Buscemi, and he wrote Garland Green, the role for him. Mm -hmm. But he also passed around a bunch of of scripts to a bunch of different actors, and a lot of people wanted some roles. And so Rosenberg, he received a package in the mail, and he said he opened it up, and it was a baby doll's arm covered in blood. And there was a note with it saying, I am Garland Green. And it was from Dennis Leary, who really wanted the part. 
and they just didn't give it to him. It's like, oh, so fucking extra, yeah. I just feel like there are so many of the actory actors out there that are like, if I make a bold choice. Right. It's like a fucking Jared Leto, like sending people dead mice and stuff when he's playing the Joker or whatever. It's like, we get it. You're a fucking method <sighs> actor. Shut the fuck yeah, up. Yeah, come on, dude. Just do your job. On a bunnier note, I guess. Uh <laughs> They wanted John Cusack for Larkin. He really hated the script, but he just thought he should be in a blockbuster. And I think he just really hated the movie. But he had one demand. He said he really wanted to wear Birkenstocks. That was his one demand? <laughs> that was it. And he wore Birkenstocks the whole movie. He's like, okay, you can do whatever you want. What a baller. He's like, yeah. look, this movie sucks. I just want my little feeties to be comfy if I'm going to do this, okay? And they're like, well, you are going to be like jumping out of exploding buildings like maybe something with a back he's like no 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 yeah i told you burks are nothing burks are bust call me burke larkin <laughs> vince birkin <laughs> he's like did i stutter <laughs> you got a hearing problem or something i wish i'd been looking at his feet <laughs> i think like zoom in on it a couple cut times out of like, every shot i bet <laughs> yeah that would be a smart it's like you could wear them we're never gonna focus on them they just give him a foot double and wearing new balance sneakers <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, some dad airs. <laughs> oh, mom air. I want to do mom air. Mom air. What would that be? A bunch of moms on a plane, like. <laughs> the end. Just like they're like on a trip. Like they're all like on a mother's retreat, like away from their kids. And oh. like they get on this flight and they're just like, fuck it. We're not going back. And they just get fucked up and they hijack the plane and they're like, we're going to Disney World or like. Cancun, wherever they want to go. And all these dads are trying to like shoot down the plane or like get them back. <laughs> all the dads are like obviously not paying any attention. So it's up to the kids to land their own mother's planes. Love this. This is great. Man, got to save that for the next time we write our own. Dan and Jazz make a movie, Mom Air, coming Love soon it. to a po <sighs> this podcast. <laughs> great. Let's do it tomorrow. <laughs> Great. See you at Thanksgiving. <laughs> That's right. Um, and then the last thing I wanted to say, which is just really funny, is Mickey Rourke was wanted to play Garland Green as well. And in the audition, there was this like young assistant casting director who was reading Poe. And Mickey Rourke, Rourke was eyeball to eyeball, nose to nose with them, and pulls out a 10-inch Bowie knife from behind <gasps> him and like held it under this guy's chin. And they just let him keep going with the scene and didn't give him the part. <laughs> This industry is so fucked. That would never, <laughs> that could never happen now. That would never happen now. Yeah, I don't know if you can. What the fuck is wrong with people? Like, just let this intern do their job. Right, right. Although God. he probably went home and was like, I'm going to do whatever fucking takes. Ugh, but like, try hard. This person probably like left, went home, was like, Mickey fucking Rourke almost slit my throat today. I love this business. Right. He's like, uh, my name's John Smith. And my fun fact is Mickey Rourke <laughs> held a knife to my throat when I was a kid. And as he gets older, he's like, ooh, this feels less nice the more I say it. I feel <laughs> like I've been normalizing some trauma. For real. Yeah. But I think all's well that ends well. So they also wanted Tony Kay to direct this movie, who did uh, American History X. But the interview that he gave, he was like, we should go to prisons and get real convicts to make the movie. It's the only way. That's what he told Jerry Bruckheimer. Like Face Off. Yeah, like Face Off, right. But I think he meant like leads. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not, sure. not just for background work. <laughs> yeah, because then Bruckheimer was like, what about actors? And he's like, no, that's stupid. <laughs> 
here's a novel idea. Why don't we find some actors to do it? He's like, oh, amateur. Call me when you make a movie like American History X. Um, and then for the re- this is also some like bullshit movie shit. So Nick Cage, Jerry Bruckheimer, Simon West, and Rosenberg, the writer, in researching this movie, they went to Folsom, the maximum security prison in, in Sacramento, and uh, they had to sign a no hostage waiver. So it means like if you're injured or killed, like your family can't sue the prison. Okay. Um, one guy came up to Nick Cage and was like, oh my God, it's really you. And Nick Cage is like, yeah. And he's like, yeah, it's you, Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> Then, Nick Cage is like, what if I kill myself in prison? <laughs> is that in the contract? Yeah, what clause do you have for that? <laughs> and then in that same time, someone stabbed someone else and they were just rushed out. <laughs> this is prison fucking, is real. It's so fucking funny. Anyway, speaking of people who take it too far, let's read some reviews. <laughs> uh, I'd love to start out the review. I, I looked through my uh, text messages because I remember I told my dad to watch this movie. Jeff Levine, what's going on? Jeff with Levine Jeff? came in with a really, really hot take. Okay. I watched Con Air on your recommendation, perhaps the greatest film ever made. Uh, good night. <laughs> good night. Love, Dad. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Dan Levine Jr. Yeah. That makes sense. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree because no. that is what you say about almost every movie on the podcast. So. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. The audience is of two minds on this one. Like there, are pe- there's no middle ground here. It's like you either mm. are fucking obsessed with it or you think it's dog shit. So starting with Kenneth Turan from the Los Angeles Times, the review reads, numbing but not boring. It's more dispiriting than exhilarating, like a wild night of debauchery that leaves only a fearsome hangover for a souvenir. Yeah, I think I felt emotionally hungover after this movie. Yeah, was it emotionally hungover or just like... Mm, No, just like I was like stimmed out. Yeah, that's right. Because there's not that much emotion. No, next to none. Yeah. I love Casey Poe and Cameron Poe's relationship, but that's kind of it. Yeah, that's the emotional crux of the entire film. Oh, well, I love him and, and Bubba. Yeah, Bubba. I thought that was him. Yeah, it is. He's a good friend. He always takes a bullet. Yeah. What's that about? What a great friend. Really good friend. What mean writers. Seriously, give this guy a break. Uh, Our good friend Roger Ebert gave this movie three out of four stars. He writes, In a film filled with strange people and bizarre events, here is the strangest and most bizarre. The closing credits played over Sweet Home Alabama, including a montage of all the major characters smiling. Yes, smiling. Cyrus the Virus and Johnny 23 and all the rest looking like nice guys in a fast food ad. Apparently, the strategy is to leave the audience on an upbeat note. That would require a very short attention span on the part of the audience, but this may just be the movie to assemble that audience. I mean, they know their audience. So he liked it, and he also thinks it's a movie for dum-dums, is basically what he's saying. He knows his role. I mean, he's just trying to tell people, like, you're stupid like me. You're going to love this. You're going to love this film. That was so bizarre. The ending it's sequence. It's like fourth wall breaking kind of. Yeah. You don't want that shit, but no. I just love it. So nothing <laughs> can get in my way. This last review is probably one of the most poetic I've ever seen. And that the fact poetic. that it's written. Nice. Poetic. Hey, oh, I'll just read it. Best movie of all time. One cannot simply write a review of Con Air. Who is worthy to place value upon that which is priceless? (laughs) (laughs) 
Princess of Genovia. <laughs> Read it like Julie Andrews. Yeah. One would dare to critique Beethoven's fifth or Monet's lilies. The art itself speaks more to the human condition than could I in a hundred years. For in the consuming of the art, one learns more about themselves than the art itself. Like all great pieces of work, excluding my ex-wife, Conair stands <laughs> far above the rest of cinema, not needing the affirmation from me, nor another of higher repute. In viewing this piece, one steps into a realm of higher humanity, a euphoric out-of-body experience that transcends time and space. <laughs> to watch is to truly live. Wow, you read that so well. I have like a, a tear in my eye right now. <laughs> you would never know that that was a review of Conair. I have a feeling there's some sarcasm in there, but... <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> That's great. Well done. What's his name? What's that person's name? Mm, no idea. Oh, anonymous. But I imagine it's something like William Rutherford, King the Third. Whoa, he's king in his name. Yeah. How else he supposed to know? <laughs> How else he gonna be king? <laughs> Shall we hijack a plane and steer it right into the plot? Absolutely. Let's fuck up the Vegas Strip of our podcast episode. I'm already tired. You're, Just you're... talking about it this much. So, uh, okay, we cut over to Mobile, Alabama. Nick Cage is coming home. He's in uniform, and he greets his wife, who works at this bar. Um, she is pregnant with their baby. This drunk guy starts, like, making comments about his wife, and Nick Cage almost fights him. And she's like, for a moment there, I thought you were that guy again. I thought the army would have made him grow up. He was like, it did. This guy's being such a huge piece of shit. He's like hitting on his wife in front of him, but also like talking shit about the army in front of him. That He's just like waiting to get his ass kicked. And Nick yeah. Cage, I think, shows some incredible restraint. To I not think so. Kick his ass. I think he he's should've. also, one thing to know about this Nick Cage is fucking shredded in this movie. He's gigantic. He's shredded in this movie. Apparently, Danny Trejo was talking about how, like, there, there was a bunch of kind of like badass people on set, and he was like, the most badass was Nick Cage. He would just drop down to the ground and do like 71 arm push ups. <laughs> he made sure he was the toughest looking dude on set. Apparently, everyone else was raucous and he was very quiet. He just went back to his trailer and was not boisterous. Yeah, that's scarier. Yeah, it is. It's way more badass. Yeah, that's even way scarier. So, I do need to mention that his accent is horrendous. It's not great. It sounds like he's doing an impression of Forrest Gump. Doing a parody of Forrest Gump. Which is kind of a Forrest Gump doing a parody of Forrest Gump because Tom Hanks took yeah. that accent from the little kid. So Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, it's transitive bad. property of shitty accents or something. <laughs> exactly. They could have just not given him an accent. No, but... he, he had a very specific way that he wanted this character. Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. he looked at the script and then changed it around. So, so that he could use an accent. So maybe he just wanted him to be like more chivalrous and like he wants to be a virtuous army ranger. Mm -hmm. Like instead mm -hmm. of, uh, you know, some random thug. To be fair, I don't think this movie really works unless Nick Cage is as good of a person as he is. That's the best part of the movie. Oh, yeah. He, yeah, he has to be. He has yeah. to be. So husband and wife, they're trying to leave this bar and the pouring rain and the drunk guys decide to jump him so he fights three men in self-defense mm -hmm. like uppercuts the one dude in the nose and it kills him yeah and then this dude a veteran 
is sentenced to more time because apparently the judge said because he's in the military, they're going to be harsher on him because he's a right. deadly weapon. Because you can't escalate situations. It's just such horseshit. It's, bo- it's the it's, biggest it's just plot not, hole in this movie. It's not believable at all no. for a judge to be like, you're a veteran. Get out of my sight. <laughs> like, right. what? Uh, but he sentences him to seven to ten years in jail. I think there is something about it where it's like, I think we might be able to win this case, but just like plead guilty so you don't have that much time. It doesn't make any fucking sense. He no. shouldn't be in jail. Definitely not. So uh, he goes off to jail. He's working out constantly. He starts learning Spanish. Then origami, which I have to admit, I thought would be a bigger part in the plot somewhere no. never becomes a thing it wants it to be like he's a well-rounded individual he's not just like a muscle <laughs> i have hobbies too yeah exactly spanish so it looks like his time is up he is getting out of jail he's so ready to go meet his daughter he's actually getting to go home on his daughter's birthday and he has just been like he's been so well behaved just keeping to himself developing hobbies he's been waiting for this day for a long time and he's befriended bubba and they have this like conversation where he's like yeah you're gonna get out soon man and you know who's gonna protect you blah blah, blah. and then inexplicably he just like ha i'm going home son <laughs> <laughs> yeah hugs him. It's, hugs so him. Funny. it's a weird explosive <laughs> moment that we don't we've never seen that kind of emotion and we don't ever see it again. Yeah, it's great. It's perfect. And they are going to be transported on this plane. All these guys get strapped on the plane. Some of them are like who are super dangerous or like locked in cages, uh, including John Malkovich. And the guards are like, don't even think about farting in my direction or your testicles are mine. They'll like throw a bag over your head. And uh, apparently that was actually real, too. So they said if they bite or spit, we put pantyhose over their heads, like in the real program. Yeah. How else are you going to? Bunch of ball gags. Yeah. Would be funnier. Certainly be hotter. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay, okay, Conair. Anyway, so all of a sudden we see that John Malkovich has hidden a pin inside of his own hand. Yeah. He starts picking the lock on his handcuffs. And then all of a sudden we see like almost everyone has shit that they're hiding that's stashed on them. Like Dave Chappelle has like a little thing of like lighter fluid in a bottle that's been down his throat that he pulls up with floss. And then he just straight up lights the dude next to him on fire. Yeah, it's a chaotic scene. It's so cool. It's an all out mutiny. Yes. Like people are trying to put out the fire. They're in the air, by the way. Like they're they're in flight. Yes, they have taken off. All this hullabaloo is happening. Nick Cage is like, oh, fuck, man. Like I'm just trying to get to this <laughs> next place. And then the undercover agent's like, oh, I'm really fucked too. He like smuggled in a gun, which he's not supposed to have on the airplane. Yeah, there's only one gun allowed to be on the plane, and it's in a box in the cockpit. Right. Guards are getting killed. Prisoners are getting killed. John Malkovich ends up at the cockpit and gets the only gun on board. And goes, welcome to Con Air. And that was the first time I actually understood what the title meant. (laughs) I'm going to be honest. I mean, I think for the first couple times I watched it, I never really thought about it. I mean, if someone asked me, I guess I could explain it. But it was like, yeah, Con Air is what it's called. Like you just think of it as one word. Right. And isn't there like a a hair dryer that's called that too or something? Yes, it is a very popular line of hair tools, hot tools, like blow dryers, straighteners. Hot tools like Nick Cage. (laughs) 
hot tools leading the way in cinema. <laughs> so now we know why it's called Con Air. They all have like their thing. Like, here's my bad guy thing. And the one guy's like, yeah, I'm a rapist. And even all the other guys who are like murderers are like, that's fucked up. We don't want any part yeah. of that. Keep your dick in your pants or throwing you off this plane. And of course, he's like trying to rape the lady guard the whole time. But Nick Cage won't have it. No, it's not happening here. Not, not happening now. here, which is like, ugh. Yeah, we don't need to see that. The undercover cop, at this point, they still think he's also a bad guy. He gets a hold of his gun. Big mistake. He tries to take down Cyrus, but of course it doesn't work and he gets killed. Nick Cage is just like, all right, I got to like do what I got to do to help the people on this plane. He's like feeling bad for the lady cop. He wants to help her. His buddy, Bubba, he's a diabetic and all of the syringes are broken. So, and he needs his insulin or he's going to basically die. So he's like, all right, I got to do what I got to do to get off this plane. Love that. I feel like that's an important part of this plot because Mm -hmm. without that time limit, you know, it's like, I'll be dead in two hours. Then you're like, oh, fuck, there's so much shit. Right. Of course. The bomb in this bus will go off in. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Classic. To make matters worse. We need stakes. So in order to not look suspicious, though, they do have to land the plane in Carson City. And there are a certain number of men need to get off the plane and a certain number of men need to get on the plane. So they unload a few guys. They bring on some new guys. Law enforcement doesn't know that they've taken this plane yet because like... No, not yet. John Malkovich like puts a gun to the pilot's head and is like, just say that there was like a little disturbance and everything's cool. And they put the transponder on another plane... So they think they're going somewhere else. Right, exactly. The original undercover cop was wearing a wire. Nick Cage takes it off of him and puts it in the clothes of one of the guards that's being taken out to try and send a sign that something's not right. So, of course, they're like on the bus and they're all screaming, trying to be like, I'm a good guy. And like one of them gets punched by another guard and then like the tape rolls out. So now we're on to them. We need to figure out how to get this plane. The douchebag dude from the DEA like wants to shoot down the plane. They, they still have essentially the woman prison guard and they know that Poe is, well, he suspects that Poe is a good guy because he is leaving him these clues. He's like, there's innocent people up there. They know they have an ally on the plane at this point. Yeah. And also there's one thing to note about this part. It's a little bit more than just escaping. There's someone who's paying for this. They have a benefactor. Yeah, they're like tangled up with some like Colombian drug lord. Right. Or something. Or something, but it's not really that important. Yeah, they don't make it very clear. One of the new bad guys that comes on the plane at Carson City is like connected to this drug cartel. Right. It's going to like get them their next plane. At this new airfield they get this like ridiculous Hannibal Lecter character who's, you know, they like shove a bunch of poles into him and Steve he's like Buscemi. the big reveal is it's Steve Buscemi. It's supposed to be kind of a joke. Like it's it's absurd. Like he's got like a muzzle on. See, yeah, that is totally absurd. But like, I don't know. To, it, to me, it doesn't read like a joke. <laughs> like I just think everything about the movie is so intense that it is absurd, but it feels like I don't know why. Like, I didn't get the sense that they wanted me to laugh at it. I guess I never really cared whether they wanted me to laugh. I, I mean, I don't know. That part is, is absurd. But like, It is pretty absurd. It's like they're acting like it's like Jason Momoa's in there. Well, that's what I mean. I was, I was trying to think of this yesterday. I understand the precautions that you would take should have to do with severity of these crimes, right? I mean, mm-hmm. he like kills children. Like he wore a, yeah. a child's head on his head or whatever. Yeah. But... Can it also be like, also it's Steve Buscemi. Like you could probably just put him in handcuffs. He's, He's not like a mastermind. He's 90 pounds wet. Yeah. Like, like he, you know. <laughs> he has a better chance of escaping than Ving Rhames. I don't think so. Yeah, definitely but, not. 
I think it's the comedic effect. We're supposed to think that this guy is like a total psychopath. Yeah, and he is. Um, so now we now have Steve Buscemi on the flight. One of the convicts knows how to fly the plane. So they take back off, but the plane isn't going fast enough. Something's weighing them down. So they send Nick Cage down to check on the landing brake. Turns out... Dave Chappelle got sucked up into the landing gear or something. Yeah. They don't make it super clear, but his dead body is just there. So the big dude is like, dump the body. He's slowing us down. So Nick Cage writes a note to Larkin on Chappelle's shirt telling him the next landing spot, then pushes him out of the bottom of the plane. This, okay, so this next part, like, is funny but it didn't feel like it was on par like tonally with the rest of the movie this like nice couple just sitting in their car in the middle of the city and they're like annoyed because there's bird shit on the windshield and then dave chappelle's lifeless body is just careening towards the ground and it's like there's a serene music playing and like you can yeah. see him kind of like falling through the air with this kind of like smile on yeah his like dead weird face and he just lands on their windshield and causes like a huge car pile up in the middle of this city but he <laughs> so needs to get he needs funny. to talk to larkin somehow and he needs to get i mean his his main thing right now is he needs to save bubba it's a great idea it's a great idea meanwhile this one murderer on the plane has been like on cage's scent the whole time because nick cage had to lie about being a free man to make it seem like he also has an incentive he's like playing along with cyrus to like make it looked like he could be trusted and that he like wants to go along with the big master plan. And also Cyrus is like really taking a liking to him, which is also a really great part of it. Yeah, he's like becoming daddy's favorite. Yeah, he like respects his worldview. Mm -hmm. You think that he likes these other people like uh, Johnny 23 or whatever. And yeah. he's like, I actually think that rapists are somewhere between what does he say, like dog shit and the white stuff that accumulates on the sides on the of your, side mouth of your mouth when mouth you're really, really thirsty. thirsty. <laughs> so, vile. so he has like some warped hierarchy of criminals and what he considers to be a noble pursuit or something like that but he really likes poe yeah which is good this one guy he's just not been buying cage's act and he finally goes into his box of personal belongings and finds the document saying that he's a free man but he's also holding this bunny that nick cage <laughs> this nick cage nick cage bought this bunny doll to give to his daughter because it's going to be her birthday when he sees her and he's like holding this bunny. And he's like, why don't you put that bunny back in the box? Put the this bunny is... back in the box. <laughs> I have to say, I've been waiting 24 hours to hear what your impression of that would be. <laughs> put the bunny back in the box. Put and then, the bunny back in the box. And then like the guy is like, has like obscenely very fake looking yellow teeth. Yeah, it's gross. And then they like break this pipe and then he pushes the guy and the broken pipe goes through his chest. And he's like, why didn't you put the bunny back in the box? He's like nearly looking at the camera, like smiling. Literally. <laughs> it's almost like, hey guys, like this is going to be something that's quoted for the next 30 years. There are so many moments like that where he's like, here's my tagline. Yes. And walk away. It's like, what are you going to do? It's like, what do you think I'm going to do? Save the fucking day. Like all that stuff. There's so many good ones. There is one line that I really like. They're all sitting on the plane and Buscemi's trying to talk to him. And he's just like, you don't talk to me. You're insane. He's like, what if I told you that insane was working 50 years at a desk only for them to tell you to piss off just in time for you to go to the nursing home and hope to die before suffering the indignity of trying to make it to the bathroom on time. Right. He's like, 
oh, you know, the, the crazy people are the nine to fivers. It's like very <laughs> surface level. It's like you also wore somebody's face as a hat, but you do have a point. So John Cusack goes to the airfield that they're meant to land in. He's called the authorities and he's waiting for them to meet him there. He goes into the air traffic control tower and the traffic controller has been murdered. By who? We don't know. I have no idea. But they get there and the plane they're supposed to meet isn't there. So they need to dig the old plane out of the dirt. Steve Buscemi goes for a walk and ends up in an empty swimming pool with a little girl. There was a long time where I was like, is this really happening? Yeah. Apparently in the first cut of it, that scene was much longer and test audiences were like, Absolutely not. And they left. It was too uncomfortable and tense for them. It's so uncomfortable. I think it's actually really good the way that Steve Buscemi plays that scene. It's very surreal. He's like having a conversation with this little girl and she's like, are you sick? You look sick. You should take medicine. He's like, they don't make that for what I've got. And like she wants to play dolls with him and sing with him. It's just like, but you're just like, he, the way he's looking at her and the way they, the kind of lens they use when they're looking at the yeah. little girl, you're just like, Fuck, is he going to kill this girl? Well, there's no reason to think that this girl is going to survive at all. Like, he's a, this guy's a mass murderer that kills little girls. So, like, yeah. you're like, this cute little girl in this drained swimming pool is going to die. It's like, come on. I, I don't think I'm on board anymore. But don't yeah. worry. She's, she'll be okay. So... They shot at Lerner Airfield for eight weeks and they lived in this place between Nevada and Utah because they thought it looked like the moon. There's just fucking nothing there. And there's like 400 cast or crew and someone's counted like two women. So it was like 120 degrees. It was just a total bro fest. Apparently they built a dojo. So at lunch they could all fight and wrestle one another. Ugh, <laughs> it was like a big prison. That is the most Nicolas Cage set thing I've ever heard. I don't think he participated. <laughs> <laughs> Let's build a dojo so we it's can so fight each other. bro -y. I mean, so the guy who plays Blade, Ty Granderson, said that there were fights always brewing and he punched a few guys. And <laughs> Danny Trejo, he spent years in prison and he said it was the biggest test of testosterone he'd ever seen. <laughs> oh, yeah, like that. Oh, my God. And the people who are running the set are just like, no, 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 let them go. This is good for the movie chemistry. So the place they were at to Wendover, there was a Pizza Hut, a Blockbuster, and one little casino. And then there was a strip club. And they'd shoot all day. Nick Cage and everyone would go back to their hotel, like the main actors, and everyone else, like 400 guys, would like descend on this little town and basically take it over with like debauchery. I'll tell you what, it was a good Christmas for those strippers' kids because yes. those girls made bank. Yeah, they're all like grown up versions of that girl in the uh, drain swimming pool. They're all cashing in. When you live in the desert, it's what pretty girls do. True. It's a quote from The Killers. Wow, that was sick. So deep. Yeah, so there's so much going on. This energy that you just spoke of is clear. It, it reads clearly in this film. It comes film. through, yeah. Um, Cage goes, quote unquote, looking for fuel. In reality, it's sort of like whatever he can find. But he gets tackled to the ground by the guys who have the plane. So he meets these drug lords um, that are hidden in this plane inside this little building. And they're basically about to shoot him when John Cusack comes in. They defeat the drug lords together. And he's like, I saw your wife. And then he's like, if you see my wife, tell her I love her. And she's my hummingbird. But I couldn't leave a fallen man behind. Oh, you're so virtuous. I just love him. He's like, what are you going to do for me? He's like, what do you think I'm going to do? I'm going to save the fucking day. 
Save the fucking day. <laughs> you love it. Your testosterone it. is raging. Yeah, the little amount of testosterone I have is bubbling right now. Like a small tea kettle. Yeah. It's the sound I make when I scream. Yeah, right. Exactly. That's the sound of my testosterone coming through my ears right now. <laughs> so the cavalry is coming, but the prisoners know it. They're trying to basically pull the plane out of the dirt. And simultaneously, Steve Buscemi is singing. He's got the whole world in his hands with this little girl in the empty pool. One of the prisoners goes to the other jet uh, that the drug dealer's pilot is in. So they're attempting to take off. Cyrus is like, that's my fucking plane. Cusack drops a crane on it and it crashes. The deserter steps out into a puddle of gasoline and Cyrus throws a cigarette in it and just lights his ass up. There's a great line where it's like, Cy. You know, he's calling like yeah. Cyrus. Yeah. Cy. And he says, Anara. Flicks <laughs> the fucking, oh my God. I mean, as you can imagine, everyone is constantly double-crossing everyone in this movie. No one can be trusted. No one can be trusted because they're a bunch of crazy convicts. So everyone has like a plan to eventually like stab someone else in the back. and They'll do whatever it takes. Yeah. Doesn't work out that well. Never does because teamwork makes a dream work. Exactly. No one taught him that. These bad boys don't want to hear it. So Nick Cage is trying to find a syringe for his friend. So he like goes into this like first aid kit in, the fire, in a fire truck. A lot of fire trucks in this film now that I'm thinking about it. A lot of fire in this movie. Yes, of course. Explosion on explosion on gunshot on gunshot. The prisoners come up with this plan to fuck up the cops that are on their way. These dudes obliterate an entire army in like two seconds. Yeah, it's a brilliant move. They essentially like trap them in this one small strip where they just like kill everybody. Nuke them. They're just all explosions. While all this is going on, the rapist is like, well, since everyone's distracted, so much is happening. I wrote my head feels like it's going to explode. <laughs> so there are flaming police cars and bulldozers and guns going off and rapers raping and a diabetic coma and choppers are flying in. There's a crazy psycho killer walking back holding the little girl's doll. So we're like, oh, no. Yeah, she's fucked. Yeah. Cage rescues the lady cop and gets his friend the syringe for his insulin. The convicts are attempting to take off again. But the plane is hooked to the douchebag from the DEA's convertible. That John Cusack hooked to it to try to stop them. Right. They do take off. The plane takes off and it's like carrying this super nice car like through the sky (laughs) until it smashes into the control tower. So Conair is back in flight. <laughs> they asked J.J. Abrams for some help in, in some lines because they thought he was really funny. And the one of the lines that he said uh, is when the Corvette is trailing behind the plane. He's like, on any other day, that might seem strange. J.J. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. J. Abrams. Thanks, buddy. That's a good one. That's yeah. just, that honestly just sounds like a line from Forrest Gump. Yeah. Too many crossovers. <laughs> Could be anywhere. We yeah. need to do like the how do you know if you're watching Forrest Gump or Conair? <laughs> Is Love Bubba that. in flow it? Chart? Yes. Yeah. Is there a terrible southern accent? Yes. <laughs> Love that. It's a great idea. So uh <laughs> anyway, I just wrote in all caps. How long is this movie? Really, I really thought long. that was the climax of the film. <laughs> no. But apparently not. It was just the layover. So Connor's back in flight. They're all in the plane dancing and singing to Sweet Home Alabama. And Steve Buscemi's like, irony, a bunch of idiots dancing on a plane to a song by a band that was killed in a plane crash. Yeah, I love that line. It's so yeah. good. Define irony. And all of his lines are good. He has yeah. the best lines in the movie. I don't know. I mean, Nick Cage, why didn't you put the bunny? Why back in the box. The bunny 
back in the box. Yeah, that so cake for me. Cyrus is pissed. He's like, all right, someone alerted the authorities. He's about to shoot the lady guard. But Bubba is like, wait, it was me. It was not. But he shoots him anyway. After he got his insulin, it's just like, oh, it was for nothing. Yeah, we finally saved this guy. But then, like, Cyrus is reading the letter from Cage's daughter. Suddenly, they're being trailed by helicopters flown by the DEA douche and John Cusack. But, and they want to shoot the plane down. Cage's friend is dying, and he's like, what if God doesn't exist? And he's like, I'm going to show you God exists. Oh, my God. This is so fucking sick. <laughs> so he heads for the cockpit and fights a bunch of people to do. I mean, he literally is like walking towards the cockpit, like fighting people. He gets shot and doesn't even stop walking. No, he needs to show him that God exists by being literally too cool to be a human. It's true. He like just keeps walking and just like, and he's yeah. like, oh, yeah just is like beating the shit out of everyone and then the da guy's like shoot them down and cusick's like hold your fire he was gonna be reunited with his wife and daughter today and so he's like all right hold your fire and he's like you gotta land this thing they're like the only where you only place you can land it is on the vegas strip (laughs) fucking naturally as if things couldn't get more absurd oh Oh, i wrote ops he didn't kill that girl right (laughs) okay so we got eventually so the plane is now speeding down the Vegas Strip, smashing everything in its path. They're running out of runway. I don't know why they can't put brake on this plane for whatever reason. It's an absurdly long skid. Oh, my God. It never stops. It never slows down. You would think. No. This is a... <sighs> I got two fun facts about this. So number one, they created kind of like a bigature of the strip. Is that the opposite of miniature? Well, I think that they coined it in uh, for Lord of the Rings. They used to call like the things that they do bigatures because it'd be like 30 foot, you know, tall structures. I've never heard that, but that is so funny. Yeah. The opposite of miniature is a bigature. That's great. I love it. I guess it is still a miniature, but essentially they recreated the strip and then had like a model plane fly through and then they have kind of like a digital plane. So it doesn't look, it didn't hold up that well, to be honest, the scene, but there's certain parts of it that look really cool because it's just an actual model plane flying through these really cool miniature sets. So they combine that with actual footage of kind of like cars skidding all over the place, which is how they created this scene. But they wanted it actually to be crashing into the Mirage, their fake volcano and then it would erupt (laughs) and then the plane would sink into a lake and then there would be an underwater fight between poe and cyrus stop (laughs) so fucking awesome which is actually you know what i feel like that might be better than what they actually ended up doing and less absurd honestly let it would be less absurd for them to crash into the volcano and have an underwater fight than what they actually ended up doing well unfortunately they couldn't do it because the owner of the mirage was like no i want to move it away from vegas and i want to attract families and i don't want this association with this like rated r movie so (laughs) i can see that they're being like no you're not gonna have this fight scene at disney's magic kingdom castle okay (laughs) this is a family place but i also can't imagine someone being like no we're not gonna go there remember that scene where he fought that guy (laughs) anyone going to vegas is not going for the wholesome content okay they're going because there was a con air scene right Uh, i mean Whatever. We could have had that awesome scene, but thanks, dickhead. Yeah. Um, but apparently the Sands Casino is ready to be demolished, and he just asked them to delay the demolition. Like, there's that part where it's like the miniatures and the blah, blah, blah. 
but the end part was real when they're like smashing into the sands casino wow so a plane literally does fly through the lobby of this casino yeah through that like entrance way i guess so there is like they do kind of go through this little lake and then they like go through the lobby and smash all this stuff and the slot machines or not for nothing like they're trying to save one person I can't imagine how many people this killed. Seriously. Like, there are like a thousand Conservatively, tourists. like 200 people died. I don't know. They're like, that man needs to get home to see his daughter. <laughs> it's it's Casey Bo's birthday. It's his f- fucking birthday. Then I'm like, all right, we've got to be, it's got to be done. That's it, right? Yeah. Absolutely not. The diabetic friend makes it into an ambulance. He's still alive. Cusack is in the plane looking for the other inmates. Cyrus and a few of the other ones sneak out from the bottom of the plane. (sighs) The lady guard, which I'm sorry, I got to say, like, their relationship this whole time is just, like, unbelievable. But You don't like that? She's just like, what will you do now? He's like, I got a birthday party to get to. And she kisses him on the cheek. Like, no. Well, he he saved her life. He did, but still, like... They had to make the one lady character, you know, who is not the wife, be like just hot enough and just soft enough. I mean, I get it, but I don't know. I don't think she'd be like, so where will you go? Like, it's just not. I don't know. This lady's seen some shit. I just wanted her to them to be friends because like he's a civilian now. And I just I wanted, wanted to her- watch her like kick more ass, which she does a little bit. But she does. She fucks Iris up with that gun. Yeah, she does. Um, So... Oh, yeah. And also, like, so the guy, the rapist, they, like, they had handcuffed his arms to, like, the (laughs) roof. And when they, like, grab his, they're like, oh, yeah, this one's dead. They, like, move him out of the plane. But his arm is, like, still handcuffed (laughs) to the roof. So, obviously, his arms come off. (laughs) This is ridiculous. Also, one other thing to know about this is while the plane is crashing, Poe and Cyrus are fighting. Now Cyrus knows that that Poe's on the wrong side. And he's like, the last thing that Casey Poe will smell is my stinking breath. (laughs) That's kind of the reason why we have this like extra scene after the crash where he needs to go kill him. Yeah, because for whatever reason, they've flown Nick Cage's wife and young daughter to the scene of this crime in the middle of the Vegas Strip where a bunch of convicts are running around. They're like, well, this is a perfect place for them. Right. So the convicts are getting away in a stolen fire engine. I wrote, I literally cannot anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Even though there are a million cops on the scene, Cage just has to be the hero. So he chases them down on a motorcycle. Him along with Larkin. They both know how to ride motorcycles now. And there's like the keys in the motorcycle. And Larkin can fly a helicopter. Like there's all these. Yeah. So Cyrus is on top of the fire truck and he's spraying cops off their motorcycles with a fire hose. Cage like jumps onto the ladder on the back and is like holding on like monkey bars. Cyrus is trying to hit him off with a stick. Cage breaks a stick and then takes the sharp end and stabs it through Cyrus's ankle. Then he climbs on top of the ladder and handcuffs Cyrus to the ladder. He's like, if you want to get near my daughter, you'll need to buckle up. (laughs) So Cusack is now also... On top of the fire truck now, there's a hole in the roof and he puts the fire hose (laughs) into it so that the cab is now filling up with water. This is so fucking absurd. 
Then they lift the ladder up. Like, how do they even know how to do that? They lift the ladder up and they drive into an elevated walkway. So Cyrus goes flying through this. I'm like, okay, so he'll just get smushed. No. He goes flying through this, lands on some phone lines and gets electrocuted. So I'm like, okay, so then he gets electrocuted. No, that's not enough. Somehow he lands in like some kind of garbage dump on this like a conveyor belt and his head gets crushed by a garbage crusher trash compactor like fucking insane then cage gets also gets blasted off and of course a brings truck explodes so it's raining money (laughs) everywhere (laughs) people are just like running to grab this money He pulls the toy rabbit basically out of a literal sewer. Yeah, it looks gross. It looks disgusting. Then he sees his wife and daughter. So he walks oh, up to her. Cue, how do I live? Oh, yeah. How do I live? I think it was best original song maybe, right? Did they write it for this movie? It, it received an Oscar nom for best original song for How Do I Live? by Trisha Yearwood. And this song is so pretty. (laughs) It's so pretty. They're like dancing to it at the beginning when they reunite. See, okay, so interesting. So it was written for this movie, but then Leanne Rimes covered it later on. I guess so. It was like a big hit, which just seems really misplaced in this film, but. I love it. It's so great. (laughs) And then she's walking up to the, his wife and daughter. He tries to give her this disgusting rabbit. And at first she like shies away like a fucking course. This dude is covered in sweat and dirt and blood. But it kind of breaks my heart though that she's like grossed out by him at first. Like, she's oh, no. like five years old, four years oh, old. I, nothing. Yeah. I mean, I understand. It's just like. Right. But it's sad for him for sure. Yeah. Because he just want, he doesn't know his daughter. It's his first time meeting her. He's like, I wanted to get a haircut. <laughs> no, you didn't. Like maybe just you were already in the sewer. Just wash off the blood all over you yeah maybe don't put sewer water in an open wound but you know but yeah anyway eventually like she puts the pieces together she takes it and she gives him a hug the whole family (sighs) embraces blackout lights up we see steve buscemi at the craps table (laughs) and then the sweet the weird sweet home alabama credit sequence which is just like a lot (laughs) so the premiere of this movie Apparently, was it premiered at Hard Rock in Vegas? Uh, it's the one where the plane crashes through yes. in the final final scene. So guests were flown in from L.A. on a seven thirty seven and arrived on the tarmac in Vegas, where they were shouted at by prison guards, like people who are dressed as prison guards, who shoved them all into a fake bus with batons, and they drove them down the strip. And then at the Hard Rock, a replica of the plane had been supposedly crashed into a pop-up cinema. So it looked like it was crashed into. Guests were led through the plane into a tunnel which housed prison cells behind which prisoners, people who were (laughs) dressed as prisoners, (laughs) shouted at them and gave them popcorn. And then just before (laughs) showtime. fuck you, eat this popcorn. (laughs) Yeah, how? what kind of transition was that? Yeah. (laughs) And then just before showtime, uh, guard shoved this prisoner onto the stage who was in this orange jumpsuit with the spit guard, like the mask, and they pull off the spit guard, and it's Jerry Bruckheimer. And he introduces the movie. That is how you throw a goddamn party. Take note, everybody. I love a theme party, and that is like next level. Hell of awesome. a theme party, yeah. <laughs> if you're looking for a prom theme, 
You could do worse. Con, than con Air, Air prom. Except yeah. everyone going to prom right now has no idea what Con Air is. They will. They will once we make them have a Con Air prom. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. What a wild ass ride. <sighs> I am spent. Let's read it and summate it. I fucking love this movie. I love it. I remember <laughs> being in my basement and watching it every single time it was on. Did you turn the TV on with your basement hook? Well, I got the hook hook to get the hook <laughs> and then I would turn it on the TV. I love the character of Cameron Poe. I love how he's like a really good guy and he's like caught in this situation where he just is trying to catch a ride home and he just can't leave these people behind. And it's so frustrating that he's in jail. It's so stupid and he just wants to see his kid and he's so badass. It's so funny and cool i just love this movie i'm gonna give this movie eight and a half baby dolls arms covered in blood out of ten (laughs) (laughs) nice (laughs) thanks here's what i think this is the classic example of a movie from the 90s that was probably like four dudes in a room at a table with just like a mountain of cocaine Mm. being like do you know what would be sick yeah (laughs) and it shows I think this movie is a lot. It's a lot of chaos. I think I would like it more if there weren't so many like flagrant plot holes and things that just like don't make sense. I do think it's a very cool storyline. I like the idea of it. A dialect coach on set could have done some work. Um, Not my favorite of the Nick Cage repertoire, (laughs) but I'm glad that I can now say I've seen it and make fun of it for years to come. I will give this movie four sewer bunnies. <laughs> sewer bunnies. Yeah, I'm sorry you didn't like it. Listen, not every movie we do is going to be for me. And this whole podcast is not for me. It's for you guys listening in your cars, on the subway, at home, while you're having sex, whatever you do. Right. It's none of our business where or when you listen to the pod. But also uh, write in for what you're doing right at this moment to millennialmovieclub at gmail.com. <laughs> That's not a real email. Is oh, it? it is. I made it. <gasps> you made <laughs> us an email? Oh, yeah. we're so legit. Oh, we're very legit. Yeah. And All right. Website. Write us in anytime to millennialmovieclub at gmail.com. I'll add it to our Instagram page. Nice. <laughs> have a happy thanksgiving everybody um and if you're listening to this after thanksgiving we hope it was good and we hope you offended all of your right wing family members yeah i hope both of those things all right guys (laughs) see you later (laughs) bye Thanks for listening to this episode of Millennial Movie Club. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and write us a glowing review. We are millennials. We kind of need the validation. For even more goodies, be sure to follow Millennial Movie Club on TikTok and Instagram. Later Later days. days.